Welcome to episode three of the Legends Podcast. This is your host, Sam Manheimer. I'm Ari Levy. Uh, we got a great show for you to, for you guys today. Great guest, uh, Garrett Greller, CEO, co-founder of Uncle Bud's Hemp. We, we might have a new unofficial sponsor, maybe official. We're not entirely sure yet, but uh, awesome interview. Excited to share that with you guys. The lines are definitely blurred on sponsorship, but we're going to claim the sponsor one way or another. Garrett was a fantastic guest and went into some great details about how he started his business and how it's grown uh, since its inception at uh, AEPI, Indiana. Yeah, and it's truly a a real remarkable story. Um, He'll be able to share more of that with you coming up. But first, um, we, we wanted to discuss a few things. So thank you for all those that downloaded episode two. Uh, with Jake Newlander. If you haven't checked that out yet, definitely do so. It's a real great interview. And uh, Thanksgiving was a little different this year. That's for sure. A lot of people were remote. A lot of the gatherings weren't as big as they normally were. But nonetheless, I do think that most of the people that I've seen on social media, at least, have been able to spend time with immediate friends and family, mostly family, I would assume. But uh, that was exciting. And I can personally say that I had a very good Thanksgiving break. I was in Cleveland with uh, my girlfriend's family. Fantastic time. Lots of outdoor front yard basketball with her dad. And then today, actually, it's Sunday, the 29th. We participated, her dad and I did, in a uh, home run derby with some of the guys that he plays softball with. And we uh, came in one and two. I was unfortunately the second place finisher, but can't be stealing all the thunder. How? What was like the line for a home run? Like, how far out was it? Was there a fence, or were you guys just like? No, it was pretty. It was pretty generous. So anything outside of the infield was technically a home run, but there were a bunch of fielders. So if you hit a pop fly deep into center and someone caught it, that would count as an out. So it was really more of an on base competition. Okay. Um, So. But still very exciting. I hadn't swung a baseball bat since uh, probably Sluggers, which is a bar in Chicago with a batting cage. And I did pretty poorly in there. So I, I definitely redeemed myself a little bit. A lot of people compared my swing to a golf swing, which isn't all that surprising, given that, A, I'm not good at baseball, and B, I've golfed much more recently. I, I also love Sluggers. And for those that haven't been there before, great bar in Wrigleyville. Hopefully soon it'll be open. But I will... Stand with you on the fact that the batting cage, it's hard to hit at sluggers because it's kind of like all clumped together and it's dark and you can't really see where the ball is coming from. I also have struggled in the sluggers batting cage. And given that it's a bar, you generally do have a drink or two in you. And yeah. I can't Your say reflexes that I'm at, aren't there. I can't say that I'm at my peak athletics when athleticism when yeah. I'm a at a batting cage. I'm better at beer pong and arguably better at pool when I'm a little bit buzzed, but hitting a baseball coming in at 50 miles an hour definitely not my strong suit for sure and underhand softball in an open field is typically a little easier to hit definitely what was your thanksgiving like ari uh so my parents actually just moved up to uh, highland park illinois real nice area called fort sheridan it used to be an army fort it's converted um into just kind of like uh residential housing and apartments and they live there Real nice. Got to go up there. It's just me, my mom, my dad, and my sister. Uh, first time ever that I think it was just us. Every year we've had some sort, we've been with some sort of extended family, whether it be my cousins or 
some family in DC or out in California, but it was just us, um, which was nice. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was pretty cool that Zoom let us do uh, unlimited meetings. I got to, we got to bring our cousins into Thanksgiving while we were all eating and uh, have a nice, nice little chat with everyone. So, you know, shout out to Zoom for making unlimited meetings on Thanksgiving. That's how you get people to remember you and really like your product. Definitely. So I think definitely this year, the landscape for Thanksgiving looked different than it normally would, but nonetheless, Thanksgiving gives us a time to reflect on the things that we're most thankful for. So I think Ari and I both have a list of a few things that we are personally thankful for this year. I'll go ahead and start. Um, the first one's going to go ahead and be IU football. I'm sure that Ari also had this on his list, but I am so happy to have a football team that I can cheer for on Saturdays. That's been something that I've been missing for most of my adult life up until this year. And today, unfortunately, I watched my Las Vegas Raiders lose by almost 40 points to the Atlanta Falcons. So it's nice to have a football team that I can hang my hat on. Although I hope that Michael Penix is healthy because it did look like he got hurt yesterday. But he did come back. I thought they just kept in Tuttle. Maybe. I'm not sure. I thought he was playing. I think it was Tuttle down the stretch. So fingers crossed that Penix is able to come back if he wasn't already in the game. Honestly, I thought he came back into the game. But anyways, um, so I've... Uh, you know, the, we were talking about your Raiders. I had the bear. It's like three forty nine right now, and the Bears are playing tonight. And I'm already not looking forward to it. Uh, Nash, uh, just you know, it's just setting us up to get you know made fun of and memed by the internet yet again. Uh, Sunday night in Green Bay. Not excited whatsoever to watch this, but I'm going to watch this. And we got Trubisky starting, and hopefully we could win. But um, so I've been I've been doing a little reading lately, and I've been reading Jordan Peterson's. Book, uh, 12 Rules for Life and Antidote to Chaos. And rule number three was make friends with people who want the best for you. And something I'm thankful for is just having a great group of friends and a great group of people around me. Um, what he talks about in the book was he's from Fairview, Alberta, which is like 400 miles north of Edmonton. It's really out there. You get really cold in the winter, negative 40 degrees. Um, and it's super important, especially living there to just have a good group of people, because if you're not with a good group of people, you could just fall into depression when the sun comes up at 9.30 a.m. And given the circumstances right now with COVID and, and a lot of things being closed, you know, having a good group of people, whether it's family or friends, is just super important. So I'm super thankful for the people that I have, especially my co-host, Sam Mannheimer. That's very touching. I'm glad to be considered a part of your wolf pack and living in Chicago does sometimes feel like the frozen tundra. So it's nice to know that we can lean on each other when the, the times get cold. Exactly. Something else that I'm thankful for, and I'm sure that many of our listeners have probably had a similar thought at some point or another over the last couple months, but I'm thankful to be in my mid twenties during COVID working exactly. a job that allows me to be remote. I think this is probably something that a lot of us have taken for granted at times, but are also very cognizant of. We're very fortunate to be able to keep our, our health by working remotely, but then also be in a age range that is not as affected by COVID. So if you get it, you're not in as bad of shape necessarily. 
And then also you probably don't have the burden of having kids that you need to take care of, or you're not in college where having a pandemic would really hinder your ability to go out and have fun. I can personally say that my college experience wouldn't have been the same if I had to forego trips to Kilroy's or IU basketball games or anything like that. So I, I feel for all the college kids. I feel for all the parents. I'm thankful to be in the situation that I'm in. Yeah. And um, it was real tough for the the graduating class of 2020. You know, when we were graduating, we kind of had that send off knowing that it was coming to an end. We were, you know, throwing parties. There wasn't that much classwork and we we're having a good time. But basically their school year got cut in March and they're like, no graduation, you're done. And, and that, that's hard. Um, definitely hard for the kids who were um, abroad junior year and they had to go home because of COVID. And right now it's it's definitely really tough for freshmen. There's a lot of rules in dorms about, you know, gathering and, and it's definitely hard to make friends. So we are very lucky, at least us, to, to be in our mid twenties and have jobs and be able to work from home. So that's definitely something I am I am grateful for as well. Um, I'm great, grateful for uh, Pfizer and Moderna, 94% complete for the, for the vaccine. <laughs> I think AstraZeneca is not too far behind. So let's uh, let's keep at it. Let's get this vaccine out soon. My sleeves are rolled up and I have an alcohol swab at the ready just to disinfect yes. my arm. I will put that needle in myself so quickly <laughs> to get that vaccine. I need to I need to get back out. I need a I'm like a football player who just needs a Toradol shot so we can go play through an injury. I'm, I'm exactly. ready for that vaccine so I can go play through this pandemic. Exactly. Um, so last night I, I watched the Mike Tyson fight which was super interesting. But prior to that fight, um, I was going over to my friend's place and I, I asked him which apartment he was and he said 1207. So I go to his apartment, I knock on 1207 and, and he's not answering. So I, I keep banging on the door louder. And then I was like, yo, Joe, open the fuck up. And like, I start banging and some poor old woman comes to the door. She's like, I think you have the wrong apartment. And she sounded terrified. And I looked down and he did tell me 1207. But uh, I felt terrible. I also have this creepy mustache for, for November now. And I had taken my mask off as I was standing at the door. So she probably looked through the people and saw this creepy guy with a mustache hanging on her door. So I felt terrible about that. Um, but it's not my fault. He told me 1207. And I went to 1207. And that's the result you're going to get. Um, for those that watched, uh, Jake Paul and Nate Robinson fought. And Jake Paul put him to sleep which was which was pretty interesting. Uh, Nate Robinson came out with no defense, no plan, was just swinging for the fences, and Jake Paul put him on his ass, knocked him down twice, and on the third one, he literally put him to sleep. Yeah, um, Twitter had a uh, nice moment with Nate Robinson. He uh, sparked a Nate Robinson challenge, which is where people just lay flat on their face on the ground. A lot of people were making fun of him on uh, Twitter, especially fellow NBA players. Before the fight, Steph Curry tweeted that he was pulling for Nate Robinson. They played together uh, probably back in 2010 or 2011, somewhere in that range. Uh, but Nate Robinson responded to Steph and said that he was going to shock the world. And then after he got knocked out, Steph Curry tweeted, I see no lies in response to Nate Robinson's tweet about how he was going to shock the world. Yeah. Not really the way that he had intended definitely rough to see guys who don't know how to box get in a ring and Nate Robinson's a fantastic athlete he played football in college played pro basketball for over yeah. 10 years right out but, for the Seahawks 
Yeah, there's three time slam dunk champ. You're probably not going to fare very well though against somebody who actually knows how to box. It's not like a regular fight. You're you're definitely restrained by the rules, and so if somebody's more technically sound than you are, you're probably going to get your ass yeah. kicked. And I don't I don't know Jake Paul that well. Um, I know he's like pretty big on, on Instagram and TikTok and that. It's like you know kind of a douchebag, and I didn't know he was like a great fighter, but he is. He's been training at this, and this is what he wants to do. Called out Conor McGregor and Dylan Danis, which would be interesting if he fought them. That's really definitely a step up against two professional fighters. But yeah, he uh, he knocked out Nate Robinson cold. Um, but you know, props to Nate for getting in there. And like you said, it took maybe 30 seconds for the internet to jump all over it. You know, the internet is always undefeated. That remains the case. I think Jake Paul got asked if he would fight LeBron. To which he said, "Hell no." So. While Jake Paul may be a huge idiot, he's not that big of an idiot. Although calling out Conor McGregor is never a great idea. Then again, he would make a lot of money from it, so you never sure. really know where his where his head's going. Yeah, and, and they they would be boxing, and uh, McGregor is has boxed before, but he is a professional fighter, and that could not end well for Jake Paul. But also, who knows? Jake Paul could shock the world. Um, it was really cool seeing Mike Tyson back in the ring. After 15 years off, we didn't really get to watch that much of him when we were young. He's one of the best boxers ever. He definitely won that fight. I'm not sure why they called it a draw, but that's kind of how it goes. Boxing officiating could be kind of shady sometimes. Yeah, I didn't watch either of these two fights, but just as a matter of principle, I am always against guys who are over the age of 50 fighting one another. I don't know how old Mike Tyson is at this point, but I, I just think in any circumstance whether it be a bar or a boxing ring you just shouldn't be throwing hands when you're that age but it is definitely neat to see mike tyson back in the ring but if you're if you're in his situation obviously you want to keep your name relevant but what do you really have to gain by it and the fact that nobody died is a miracle just because you never want to see two guys get on the wrong end of things but yeah that, that's my take on it well, it sounded like Roy Jones Jr. and Mike Tyson had both been like training and working out and staying in shape. So I'm not really against them coming into the ring and like then they started training for a fight and getting in a better shape. But it sounds like they've been working at it for the past couple of years. So that was really cool to see them uh, do that. Tyson definitely landed a lot more shots. Uh, he looked better out there. But Roy Jones Jr. stood in there for I think they did a. It was, an, it was an eight round fight, two minutes around, and so that was that. That was, it was really cool. It's just like, it, it, would you be upset if Jordan came back and was like, "I want to play in the NBA today"? Not comparing Tyson to Jordan, but you know what I mean. If he's like, "I want to put on the jersey and play," you're not going to be against it. Well, ESPN did put out a graphic on Instagram and Twitter of the potential Charlotte Hornets starting lineup, and it included Gordon Hayward, Lamella Ball, and Michael Jordan. And my immediate reaction to that was, "It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen." So to answer your question in a serious context, it would be entertaining to see Michael Jordan come back and play basketball, but I wouldn't be fearful for his life the way a boxer over the age of 50 inhibits uh, that kind of feeling. It's yeah, like but uh, Alex Smith came back out on the field again after yeah. breaking his leg and basically nearly dying from a bone infection. You're happy to see him back out there, and the road that he traveled was not easy, and it's a miracle that he was able to get through it. But damn, it's just terrifying seeing a guy out there putting their life at risk again after you know how close they came to not making it before. 
I know, but I would be more scared if Mike Tyson were to fight Terrence Crawford, who's the number one, I think, welterweight champion in the world right now. Just to fight a boxer in it, like a professional boxer in his prime, who's like in his 20s or 30s right now. But he fought another 50 year old that he's fought before. So it kind of, you know, evens out a little. Yeah. No, I mean, that's definitely true. But and with, with a sport like boxing, when you're throwing punches that heavy, I mean, those guys are both heavyweights. You never really know where it's going to land. But happy that everyone's okay and upset that Jake Paul beat Nate Robinson. But I'll, I'll live through that. Me too. All right. For those listeners that listened to our last interview with Jake, uh, we kind of talked about nutrition and and dieting. And I mentioned that I was thinking about giving up dairy for December. Uh, No dairy December, NDD as Jake called it. So I'm actually going through with this. Starting Tuesday, December 1st, I will not be consuming any dairy for the next 31 days, which will be a challenge because I love pizza. I like cheese. Um, milk is in a lot of my favorite foods and I was hoping my co-host Sam who is actually dairy free would be able to give me some pointers on how to be resilient during these 31 days so Sam what could I do to to really succeed at this so I think there's a few keys to dairy free dieting Uh, the first one would be replacing the staples that have dairy with a dairy free alternative so for instance, I like butter a lot, and there is this really good dairy-free butter that Trader Joe's and a bunch of other places sell. I can't recall the name of it, but it comes in a yellow package. They have a whipped option, and they have a regular option. I always go with the regular option, but this stuff just melts like regular butter. You can use it for cooking. You can put it on your toast. It's fantastic. It tastes just like the real thing. So I would start there. The other thing that I would definitely recommend is replacing your proteins with either a meat-based alternative. Um, So for me, I think I mentioned this on the Jake podcast, but I use this carnivore protein, which is okay, but I've moved on to a plant-based protein that I actually prefer a lot more. I feel a lot less bloated after drinking it, and I think it's pretty tasty, so I would do that as well. The other tip that I would have for you is... There's this dairy-free cheese, too, called Daya, which isn't great if you don't melt it. But if you do melt it, it really does capture the essence of the cheese flavor. The consistency is a little bit iffy, but I've actually had that on pizzas. And a lot of restaurants these days actually carry this cheese um, in 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 the restaurant. So I've gone to places like Home Slice. And they can whip up a, a dairy-free pizza for you. And it's it's actually not that bad. Yeah, so I just looked at my protein before we came on and started recording because I didn't even think about it. And I realized that there's milk in it. So I do have to find some sort of alternative in the next two days. So thank you for giving that idea to me. What about uh, dairy-free ice cream? So dairy-free ice cream, you also have a lot of options a lot of people think that the ice cream is going to be the hardest part of giving up dairy. You would say probably that or cheese, but Oatly actually has a fantastic oat-based ice cream. And I think they use coconut milk in that, but it is sweet and it really has the consistency of ice cream. I am a huge proponent of that. There's also some great options at Trader Joe's. There's this cherry chocolate chip 
ice cream that I like. I've gotten that a lot. Uh, that's pretty tasty, but I'll probably give the nod actually to Oatly. And I, I came onto that relatively recently. Fun fact about Oatly, I think they just got purchased by some company. I forget the name of it or who exactly. Microsoft? <laughs> no, it was not Microsoft, but they got uh, bought out. I was there. just wondering. No, it definitely wasn't Microsoft. Um, <laughs> They're going to they put got... computer chips in the ice cream and track you. Yeah, along with the vaccines. They're trying to get you from all angles. Bill Gates is relentless. But no, it, it, it is an up-and-coming brand, though. They definitely have upped the repertoire of different items that you can get. So I would definitely recommend Oatly as well. So the other key to dairy-free dining that I would uh, definitely make sure that you're aware of are what are some dairy ingredients that might be listed that you might not be familiar with. Ghee, spelled G-H-E-E, is a milk protein, as is whey, W-H-E-Y. So whey protein is really common in, in protein shakes, but you might see that listed on some other items as well. Dark chocolate is a nice alternative too for, for uh, deserting. There's generally not any milk in dark chocolate, so that's another easy way to avoid the dairy while still getting in your fixins. Well, it's going to definitely be a challenge. I'm, ex- I'm up for it. I'm going to see how I feel after 31 days. Uh, I'm really excited. Uh, if you guys have any tips, uh, you can message us at the Legends Podcast. You can text me. You can message me on Instagram how to keep up with NDD, No Dairy December. So the other thing that I think needs to be mentioned is in order to maintain a dairy-free diet, you need to be resilient. A lot of people are going to question why you're dairy-free. They're going to say, oh, are you lactose? And the answer to that is no. Lactose is an ailment that only requires you to take some sort of pill in order to make it not as bad. If you have a dairy allergy or if you're going dairy-free all the way, you got to put the foot down and let them know that you're you're not just playing around with it. You know, you're you're taking it very seriously. And yeah. there are going to be people that are going to think that you're you're crazy. There was this pizza place in Bloomington that closed probably because they were mean to me at least. Um, but I would walk in there and I would order this dairy-free cheese on the pizza, and they would was say, it "Get some pizza." It was get some pizza, and they they would make R. fun R. of me. They, they said, why would you get that? It's terrible. And I was like, I have a dairy allergy. And then they laughed. And then the next time I came in, they knew who I was and they laughed at me before I even ordered the pizza. They're like, why are you even doing this? And I, I had to tell them, I was like, I'm serious about my pizza and I'm not going to let this disability hold me back. So all right to you, I would say, keep that head up, power through it. You can do it. Don't let the haters get to you. I have all the faith in the world. Yeah, I remember at the beginning of COVID, uh, I texted you and I said, hey, um, you know, I hope you're doing well. I know you're a little immune compromised with the dairy allergy and I hope you don't get COVID. You said, oh, I'm not immune compromised. I just have a dairy allergy. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, you know, that makes sense. But, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions out there about dairy allergies and and being dairy free. Yeah, the dairy rights community, or I should say dairy free rights community has definitely come a long way in the last couple of years. We're carving out our, our niche. The DFC. The DFC. I, I am the chairman of the DFC. Yeah. But we have a lot of lobbyists in Washington pushing pushing for our cause. We're, we're in the pockets of these politicians. I think it would be the DFRC, the Dairy Free Rights Committee. Yeah. The ACLU, the DFRC, they're basically all cut from the same cloth. 
All right. Well, I appreciate the the advice and I'm excited for the challenge. And we got a great interview coming up. So without further ado, we welcome on Garrett Greller. All right. We now welcome on legend, brother from our fraternity in college, Alpha Epsilon Pi. CEO. Are you the CEO of Uncle Buds? Co-founder, director. Co-founder of, of Uncle Buds, Garrett. Good to have you on. Thank you. Honored to be on your guys' new podcast. We also are uh, privileged to be joined by a second guest in Garrett's new five-month-old puppy, Smokey. Yeah, so if you hear him, just disregard. He's very what kind playful. of dog is Smokey? Golden Doodle. Got him on Golden Doodle. I feel like that's the quintessential COVID dog. Yeah, yep. Did a lot of research on Craigslist and saved him from a family, you know. Adopt, don't shop. I don't know if I consider Craigslist adopt, don't shop, but it's a secondary market. If you're allergic to dogs, it's like the best next thing because you can't adopt a golden noodle. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, congratulations on being a father and uh, welcome to the podcast. So as we for for the listeners who aren't super familiar with you or Uncle Buds, could you give us a little bit of a backstory on your business and how it started and where it's grown to today? Sure. Um, so Uncle Bud's was all started because at age 14, I was diagnosed with arthritis in my knees, back, hips and ankles. You know, I tried everything. I went to 10 different doctors. They gave me opioids, prescription drugs in the legs, um, every topical pain reliever, acupuncture, nothing really worked for me. Uh, then one day someone suggested, a uh, a CBD bomb. I actually ran across a Sanjay Gupta documentary and learned a little bit more about CBD myself. And at that time, I was only 17, 18. Um, and I wrote up a four page paper on CBD and like put it on my parents desk because, you know, I didn't want them thinking I just wanted to go into a dispensary to go into a dispensary. And that's when my parents were like, sure, we could give it a try. It was just a topical. We, I walked into a dispensary my first time with my mom. Uh, I was 18. We got our med cards and we got this bomb and I put it on my knees and it was crazy. It was the first thing that worked for me. Uh, and I was able to get back on the tennis court, being back to like a normal 18-year-old. And that's when I got accepted into Indiana. I knew I was headed over there and I couldn't bring this uh, California-approved medical uh, bomb. And basically... Sorry, Smokey, he loves this story too. Um, <laughs> and basically, I couldn't bring it with me to Indiana, so that's when me and my dad kind of sat down and we found a manufacturer in, um, in the U.S. that could make this legally derived from hemp. And this manufacturer sent me around 10 different formulas, right, pain relief, topical pain relief formulas, and I would put them on myself and I ran around a track to put myself in as much pain as possible before until I found one that worked for me. And I found that one pain relief product and it, I knew if it worked well for my pain, it would work for thousands of people. And right then and there, that's when we sat on the couch. My dad thought of the name Uncle Buds because he thought, you know, friendly family name. Everyone's got an Uncle Bud. And that's how it launched, you know, just one product that solved the problem of aches and pains. And it worked really well. And from there, I really bootstrapped it at my time at Indiana using my AEPI brothers to, you know, I use you guys to 
vote on the Uncle Bud's logo, vote on the first packaging designs that because like 300 smart kids in a fraternity would uh, know best. And that was that was right. And they helped me spread the word kind of organically through my time at IU. And then um, as I was graduating, uh, by chance, I met my business partner, Bruno, who has a lot of experience in retail. He launched the Kardashians. He uh, has a lot of celebrity marketing background. And he saw the story. He kind of loved the story, loved the product, and saw that he could take this and turn it into a real brand with what we have. And Uncle Bud's has now grown from that one little product that was just sold online uh, to now 80 different hemp and CBD products um, in around 15,000 stores internationally in eight different countries. And we just launched in China and all different types of celebrities like Magic Johnson and Jane Fonda and Tony Braxton are part of our team, Seth Jones, hockey player. And yeah, it's kind of been, I mean, a whirlwind over the last two years growing Uncle Bud's as much as we can. Um, so I know you mentioned Magic Johnson. So I met Magic Johnson when I was in the Bahamas in 2011, and he was super nice. Um, I, I can't imagine what he's like to work with when he actually, you know, wants to be around you. He's one of like the most nice, humble people I've ever met in my entire life, for sure. Um, first thing he did when he saw me and I met him the first time, he goes, you're Garrett, you're my boss and like jokes around and like acts like, as if I'm a normal human. And like he, he decided to team up with Uncle Buds because he loved the story and the products. Um, he resonated with the entrepreneurial story. He's an entrepreneur. He's one of the most respected athletes and businessmen. And we knew he was a good fit. And he was just like every time I've met with him, been one of the nicest people ever. And we'll go out of your way. We'll go out of his way to kind of do whatever he can to make people happy and really brighten the mood with his big smile and vibrant personality. Yeah, he's world famous for his charisma. That's for sure. Um, going back a little bit to the evolution of the product. So you mentioned that in California, you had CBD oil. And then in Indiana, you had to switch to a hemp. What's the difference between a CBD and a hemp oil? Is it just yeah, so, a... so the CBD I was getting in California, that was derived from the marijuana plant, which like, so it had THC in it and CBD, but mostly CBD. When you're driving it from hemp, it has to have 0.03% below that number in THC. Our CBD and hemp oil has zero CBD in it. So pure CBD. And if, as long as you're keeping it as pure CBD, it's legal across all state lines. And actually in 2018, I launched Uncle Bud's in 2016, but in 2018, they made it legal to farm hemp across the United States. So that's what kind of pushed the whole CBD and hemp boom and made it into a commoditized type of item. We were just the first to be there with a brand and a story. Got it. So... Uh, Uncle Bud's and I guess hemp oil in general is kind of like the O'Doul's of of uh, <laughs> marijuana a, products, if you would. That's a great way to put it, yeah, because you're not going to get high from CBD. It's really good for all ages, kids, parents, anyone, anyone can really use hemp oil uh, for skincare or for pain relief. It, it, hemp seed oil and CBD both have their own low benefits. So you mentioned you had arthritis. What other uses are there for this for people that are in pain? Like what, you know, 
what else could it be used for? So now, Uncle Bud, we have a whole pain relief collection that could be good for joint, like joint pain, athletic injuries, stuff like that. Um, we have 12 different pain relief products, but we also have a whole skincare line. So Uncle Bud's is into uh, face masks is one of our bestseller clay face masks that you leave on for 15 minutes. We do everything from antibacterial products. So we have hand sanitizers and disinfecting sprays. And now we have a full Miss Bud skincare line, bath and body products, wellness products. So we range from the whole, we cover the whole wellness realm when it comes to uh, consumer products in, in the hemp and CBD world. And we're, we're like, we pride ourselves on being affordable, effective, and accessible. So you can find it everywhere. I saw on your website that you have a dog product line as well. We've got a dog product line as well. Our shampoo, you, conditioner, and deodorizer. Do you use it on Smokey? Yeah, that's why Smokey is so fluffy. <laughs> I love that. Um, so I actually bought one of your products a while back. I got the topical pain relief um, coconut oil. I had some knee pain, and I used to put it on after workouts, and it actually did make a difference. Um, so I can, I can personally say that I've benefited from it. So thank you for putting that out. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, that's for sure. Like the coolest part is that people like Tony Braxton and Jane Fonda and Magic Johnson, they would, they tried the product and the products, you know, spoke for itself. They liked the story that came along with it, but it's really, if you don't have a product that works really well, then you're not going to get people to fall in love with the brand and tell other people about it. And that's where we've really uh, like take advantage of that. Um, I'm all, I was looking on your Instagram and I see that you guys are, you partnered with tree for the future, donating thousands of trees to be planted with their farmers in forest gardens throughout Africa. Um, so it's good to know that you guys are, are, are giving back. Uh, is there anything else you guys are doing to, to, to give back? Yeah. At the beginning of COVID, we, when we launched our hand sanitizer, we were one of the few people out there, not even just in general that had access to make hand sanitizer because we were going to make it in October. Uh, we had it all formulated in 2020 and then, you know, COVID hit and right at the beginning of March, we launched our hand sanitizer. So we were donating that to nursing homes, firemen, police stations, um, and homeless shelters in LA to really make sure, you know, people were staying safe out there with hand sanitizer and had access to hand sanitizer. That's fantastic. I remember, yeah, there was that shortage a while back when uh, the pandemic was first hitting and I bought this hand sanitizer that smelled really bad because it was the only one that I've found at the yeah. time and I've just held on to it and I still have it and my girlfriend hates it, but I still use it because I've come to like the smell. Yeah, it smells a little bit like tequila. <laughs> a little bit, maybe maybe bad tequila in the case that I have. Yeah. Um, so super excited to hear about the products. I think a lot of our listeners are going to be kind of interested in the role that you hold at Uncle Bud's and kind of the, the path that you took to get here. Um, you're what, 25 at this point? Uh, 24 now. Yeah. 24, wow, okay. So I think you're in a pretty unique situation given that you're a co-founder of a multinational business. What is that like, um, I guess, to, to wake up every day and have real world expectations and people relying on you for ideas and, and whatnot at a young age? I mean, that's a good question. Uh, I think, you know, in this industry, it's it's kind of different. I think since Uncle Buzz is one of the first in the hemp and CBD 
space. I've been doing it since I was 19 years old at Indiana and I had a vision on how I wanted the brand to look. Me and my dad had a vision. And then when Bruno came on board, he brought on a whole team of people. Bruno's 45 and comes with years of retail experience. And he brought on a team of people that also come with experience. So it's not so much expectations out of me where I'm still learning from a team of people that knew how to take what me and my dad created in college and really blow it up to a multinational international brand with it with a full product line and and influencers and celebrities and i'm here every day just kind of pushing i make so i've designed every single product i i'm i run the e-commerce website i do all the social media and i make all the content for uncle buds and as well as we've I've done, uh, we have a great PR team that has helped us get our story into every publication you could probably think of. So like Forbes and Business Insider and Oprah Magazine and all those. And that's all that have I've just learned on the go because I'm teamed up with such incredibly experienced people and I'm here to listen and put my head down and kind of we are all on the same head length, same level when it comes to what the vision is and where we want to take uncle buds when you were younger you know i know i know you and your dad created this product you said when you were about 19 but when you were younger did you always envision that you wanted to start your own business and run a company was that something that just like you all you always thought about or did it just kind of happen when you guys created the product no i it's something i've always always wanted to do when i was in seventh grade i, I started my first business selling duct tape products so i made back <laughs> backpacks out of duct tape. I made wallets, checkbooks, not just your classic wallet, phone cases, really everything. It was called Quackco. You could probably still look it up and find it. Um, and then I got really into investing when I was around 12 years old. And me and my dad, my dad would take me to entrepreneur conver or, uh, conventions at USC when I was 14. So I've always wanted to start a business and with my dad specifically, because he's always been an entrepreneur as well. And uh, that's where I got lucky that we, the first business that we started, the best businesses solve problems. And we had a problem that we were able to solve and kind of use that story to create a brand and uh, a lot of good timing and a lot of ups and downs through it. And th this business happened to be the one that finally hit it. I really thought it would be Garrick Reller Photography, but, you know, <laughs> Uncle Bud's <laughs> made its way out. That's awesome. Um yeah, I feel like you're very fortunate in a lot of ways because I think a lot of people start a business and it winds up failing. So by the time you, you hit it big, it's normally on a second or third try. So that's awesome that you guys were able to kind of yeah, hit it on the I first mean, pitch. I mean, the craziest part about it is through that three years of at Indiana bootstrapping it and using beta websites and, you know, my fraternity brothers to spread the word. We towards my senior year, we were left with zero dollars in the Uncle Bud's bank. I was ready to shut it down and I was had accepted a job until my dad met Bruno through my dad, a mutual friend that my dad met. And he told the story and they're like, I have someone I can introduce you to right by chance when I'm graduating. I meet Bruno. He loved the story, loved the product and was able to get us into Walmart into almost all doors right away. And it's just like a crazy timing thing in a time where we were shutting it down and we didn't know this Bruno guy, but we were ready to take a shot our one last shot at, you know, blowing uncle buds up. So I call it a Cinderella story because <laughs> it's just like crazy that by chance we met this man who came with a team of people and so much experience. And, 
and like saw exactly what we saw with this product and brand. Um, so you said Bruno got you into Walmart and I'm assuming he also got you into GNC. And I know I was texting you about this. I was in uh, GNC a few weeks ago buying some uh, supplements and uh, um, I saw the product there and I didn't know you guys had it there. And I asked the GNC guy, does anyone buy this? And, and he said, no. And I don't know if it was that specific GNC, but you know, how, how are you guys doing in GNC? Well, GNC had to close a few of their doors recently due to COVID. So um, I'd say our biggest retail customers right now have been Walmart and Kohl's. Um, Vitamin Shop is another big one that we work with. And e-com has been big. So we've been on Amazon and selling through our website, which is growing. But we're definitely, in terms of hemp and CBD, we have the biggest retail landscape out of any brand right now. I'm not as pessimistic as Ari is, and I also don't go into GNC, but I was looking up uh, just hemp oils on Google, just out of the out of the blue, and it was one of the first results. So I think whatever you guys are doing in terms of web placement, it's working. There we go. That's that's good to know. Yeah, <laughs> e- e-commerce we see as a really big opportunity. I mean, you weren't even allowed to sell hemp and CBD online over a year ago, and then Square invited us to be one of the first uh, transactors with them. And we just launched in China, all online. Alibaba came to us and uh, we teamed up, partnered up with Alibaba, which is one of the, basically like Amazon of China. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, we just launched with them on 11.11, their big prime day, so be it. And we're really excited to see where that's gonna go because that's all, all e-com. And uh, we just think that Retail is really important because everyone can see and access our brand wherever they want. But when it comes down to it, people like the, uh, how easy it is to buy online. Yeah. So, um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Thanks. Sorry. So when I was in school, I actually took a class called doing business in China. It was a required course um, through international studies or something along those lines. Um, but basically it was a, it was a course geared entirely around doing business in the Chinese markets. And there's a whole kind of different approach that the class said you needed to take in order to work with um, Chinese partners. It was like a little bit different, um, I guess, standards. And um, I'm trying to think of the, the right way to put it, but I guess there were just different business practices. Have you noticed that as you've entered the Chinese market, do you have to conduct so, your business any differently? So, I mean, it's interesting for us because we, Alibaba had approached us around eight weeks ago, right? Two months ago. And it was my first time ever uh, do, like doing business with China. I'm, that's new to me. I didn't, I didn't go to, I wasn't even in the Kelly School of Business. I was in the media school. So I didn't get to take classes like that and even think about it. But that's where Bruno came in handy with his experience. Bruno's had around 20 years of experience with working with China as well. Um, he's launched a few celebrities clothing lines there and he actually gave me the same heads up that it is a little different working with him. Uh, so far it doesn't feel so different. They work really quickly. They put together all of our websites incredibly fast and basically they've been amazing partners to work with and took, we took something that usually can take 12 to 18 months to launch and we did it in six weeks time so far it seems like it hasn't been so different from what i see but it is i guess different on everything 
how everything lines up over there and we got everything set up really well. So now it's kind of a streamlined process with working uh, with Alibaba and getting products over there. Um, a question I had was, so something that often gets kind of like looped in with, with hemp and CBD is Kratom. And I, I just like kind of see it around. I'm not really sure what it is, but if you know what it is, would you mind explaining to the listeners what it is? And do you guys have any plans on like associating Kratom with your product? I have no clue what Kratom is. All right. All right. I, think I think you're reading into junk science a little bit too much here. No, 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 no. I, I've seen it around. Because at those like some of those shops, they'll they'll say hemp CBD Kratom. Oh yeah, I've seen. Yep, uh, I was like, it sounds familiar, but no, I have no clue what kratom is. I'm sorry. So Ari conflating Ari conflating CBD with weird substances that you buy at gas stations leads me to a, another topic that I wanted to dig into, and that's, I guess, this not the stigma, but I guess just people's perceptions about what CBD is and kind of its correlation with marijuana. And I think maybe this would be a better question in in, in the sense of the early days of Uncle Bud's when you're trying to break through barriers and maybe getting a Walmart or something to see the upside to carrying a product like this that many of their customers may not understand. What was that like? Yeah, it's kind of crazy to see the evolution of that stigma change. When I first brought it to Indiana as CBD, no one knew what those three letters were. No one knew what CBD was. But I was like, no, nah, this stuff's great and it's safe and it doesn't get you high. So you're going to be okay when you rub it in, I promise. But it was more taking my word for it and then mm-hmm. as time went on, people started to use CBD products for themselves, discovered the benefits of CBD. And then the Farm Bill Act came, and that's when CBD and hemp became totally legal to farm in the U.S. And that's when the CBD boom kind of started, and everyone was learning about the benefits of hemp and CBD and wanting to get into the hemp and CBD space because it was so new. It was for retailers we compare it to when the cell phone came out because they were creating whole new iPhone, like whole new aisles for cell phones. The same thing was happening for the first time with hemp and CBD. There wasn't, it didn't fall into a specific category in a retailer. So they were creating full end caps, full end of aisles for hemp and CBD. The vitamin shop does that. Now, uh, Walmart still doesn't carry any CBD. They're only carrying hemp seed oil, mm-hmm. which, um, that's always been a substance that is OTC and okay to use. CBD recently becoming uh, an over-the-counter uh, sub. I, I don't want to call it a substance, but over-the-counter supplement. But there's still no FDA regulation on CBD on saying what it can and cannot do for you. So you have to be very careful with the claims you make about CBD. You can't say it helps with aches and pains and arthritis. But with hemp seed oil products, you can say it helps with that because that's uh, FDA registered. But with CBD, you have to use people's stories. So that's where to kind of create that trust about hemp and CBD. That's why we brought on big name celebrities like Tony Braxton. Um, she, yeah, sorry. No, keep going. Oh, I thought you raised your hand. I did, never. <laughs> that's something me and Manny do to tell each other that we have something to say. You, you don't need to ignore that. <laughs> For anyone listening. Um, We brought on Tony Braxton, who suffers from lupus, and our products worked incredibly well for her pains associated with lupus. So we used her story and my story to launch, and we did a big media tour where I got to go on TV to all the local news stations and some bigger uh, stations and really tell her story. And then that 
that's how we launched Uncle Buds. And then we would just use big, big influencers on social media to tell their story because you can't tell people paying products is going to work for them. You got to use people's stories and kind of go about it that way and get people to try it themselves or else people will be scared of it. So we use it all, use a lot of trusted names and having trusted retailers back our product like Walmart, Target, Kohl's, CVS, all these big names creates instant trust with people and your brand because they know a Walmart's not going to touch a brand that's going to, you know, hurt you or a Target. They, we have to go through all the regulations, the hoops and hurdles to get into stores like that. So that's kind of how we have broken and kind of educated the consumer that hemp and CBD isn't so scary. Um, and it's really just been kind of an evolution to get to that point. And I think people are still a little uh, scared of it, but way less than three years ago, let me tell you. Um, so, I mean, you guys have expanded into retail. You're on Amazon. You're on Alibaba in China. You got Ma Magic Johnson, Tony Braxton. You know, where else are you guys looking to really expand? You know, we, we focus on our retailers we're in right now because it's we want to get more products into our current retailer. So we're expanding our program in Walmart uh, with some more displays there, more products. We're expanding in Kohl's there. We're one of the fastest growing uh, beauty brands in all of Kohl's. We're expanding in CVS. We just launched into a CVS with our rose gold face mask so that was always a dream of mine and just diving deep into e-commerce you know there's such a big opportunity out there on e-com whether it's amazon website or alibaba you can reach there's so many different digital tactics you could do to reach them but we've also done unique marketing tactics like billboards in times square because you know like you product on a shelf you want it to sell as much as possible retailers will be happy and so we, we do whatever we can to really make our retailers happy and do as much marketing for them as we do for ourselves. So you've mentioned uh, your partner, Bruno, a little bit. Um, can you provide a little bit of background about him and then also maybe share some of what he's taught you um, during your time that you've been partnered? Yeah, so Bruno has a background with uh, – he actually launched a product when he was 22 years old. He's Australian. And his background is really in celebrity marketing. So he launched the Kardashian collection uh, and worked with the girls for seven years and did all their clothing. And he's just uh, what he's taught me most is that he has amazing relationships uh, that he's built over these 20 years of working in retail. And he was able to use those relationships to get Uncle Buds and tell our story. But he's also amazing at uh, using the press and media to get organic stories across. Uh, a lot of paid people will pay for media and it, it could get really pricey, but he knows that with a good story, you can get earned media through whether it be Vogue magazine or In Touch magazine. And they love stories like uh, Tony Braxton using our product or Jane Fonda using our product or Magic Johnson. And these, this earned media is really how we got, we've had around like 15 billion impressions since in the past two years in the U.S. of people just seeing our brand, seeing our logo. Um, and we've really just done whatever it takes to, for people to see the logo Uncle Buds. And a lot of it is done through earned media of just telling our story to media and 
using as many influential people as possible to use our product and recommend our product and talk about our product and putting as many retailers as possible so it's accessible to all those people. And that's where his he he's taught me all of this, you know. I'm learning on the go. I didn't I learned a lot I of design. I taught myself that in media school and stuff. Um, but other than that, I'm really just learning every facet of the business, whether it's marketing and branding or whether it's selling or whether it's you do it all when you're a founder. And that's like the most fun part about it. And that's why I recommend anyone who has an idea should launch a business because you never know when you'll meet your Bruno, you know, like he came at such a crazy time and saw this and really saw something that he could blow up and he, he really did it. Um, and I'm here just as his right hand man and doing whatever I can to help him take this into the atmosphere. So the question I had for you is, you know, a lot of listeners out there might want to start their own business, you know, whether it be a product, a service, a restaurant, whatever it may be. What's the biggest advice you have to someone who wants to start their own business? I think if you have something that solves a problem and yeah, that that's like the cliche thing that mm -hmm. every entrepreneur will say, but it's just so true. If you have something that solves a problem, anyone could start a business if you're passionate about it. And, and if you feel like you're passionate about it and you know it solves the problem and it tells a story and you have a story to tell, launch the brand, launch the product, launch the service because you never know what it will turn into, what it can turn into. Um, and I think just like I always recommend taking the leap because I have all this, these examples of three years of ups and downs of not going anywhere really with the product. And then one day I met my business partner and we were able to take it to where we really wanted. And I think if I can get anyone else to for that to happen too, I would be so happy because like, you know, I, there were so many times where I wanted to quit and my dad was like, no, don't do it. You're solving too many problems. There's too many people that are like, need your product. There are in, in the end, that's what kept me going. I was like, you're right. I can't just take this off the shelves and um, by being persistent, I think, and just doing it, uh, it tends to work itself out if you put in the work. So anyone who wants to start a business, do it. Um, just make sure it solves the problem and you can tell a story. That's great advice. So when you start, first started working with Bruno, he had a lot of these, um, I guess, relationships already in place. But what was his first move? Was it to immediately go to the retailers? And then I guess, like, what was that step like? Like, what, what did you guys go through in order to get the product in the buildings? I remember it like it was yesterday because it was literally my senior year at IU and I'm in the middle of like my last finals and, you know, that last crazy month. And he, my dad meets this guy, Bruno, and he's in LA. I'm in Indiana. He's like, Bruno, my call with me and my dad. He's like, I got you guys in Walmart. And we're like, yeah, right. Like, are you rubbing it? Or are you smoking it, Bruno? And <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, no, for real. Like, I, I got it. Our sunburn soother was the first product, which is our aloe and hemp seed oil. Um, and he's like, they love the story. They like the idea of product um, because it has all the moisturizing benefits. And he's like, all right, can you fill an order in three weeks? And that's like going from a lemonade stand into Walmart. And we're like, uh, We'll figure it out. And that's what we did. I was literally designing my first ever uh, PDQ, which is uh, those side displays in cardboard while taking finals and just kind of teaching myself and made it happen. But he wanted to go straight into Walmart 
in GNC first because he know he knew that he wanted to gain that trust of the consumer right away as one of the first hemp brands um, in a big retailer like that. And then we he knew he wanted to team up with someone like Tony Braxton that had a story that could relate to the brand and could come in and uh, help get all that earned media that we got right at the beginning. So once you got the foot in the door, it was kind of a snowball effect from there? He wanted to launch with five products because he, he didn't want this to just be a one product brand. He wanted it to be a full health and wellness business. So his idea was to come out with our first five products were a pain relief, a body wash, a hand and foot cream, a massage oil, and that sunburn soother. And that's how we broke into each category um, to kind of give everyone the chance to try hemp and CBD. And then we launched our face masks, which are these just you know, one use type of clay face masks and people fell in love with those. And then those started to grow organically on social media. And we became one of the top sellers at Walmart with those. So it was, it was, uh, we were putting a lot of products out there to get people to try it at an affordable price. And people were loving our products and the story. And I think that's a big part of, you know, good timing. Again, we were one of the original people first to ever do it in Walmart. Um, since you, I think you said it was like the, was it the Farmer Act where they made CBD legal to farm across the U.S.? Yeah. That, where, where do you, do you guys have like one specific location in which you like harvest your products or do you do it across the U.S. now? Um, so everything we make is U.S. made ingredients and all made within the U.S. And that's really important to us. And one of our big selling points as well in China, because, you know, you're getting very trusted ingredients and we're keeping jobs here in the U.S., uh, went by doing so. And, uh, that's really important to us and to our brand is that everything's made in the USA and, uh, hemp and CBD. I don't do much of the ingredient sourcing. We have an amazing chemist that, uh, FDA registered and she is just probably one of the most is the most crucial part of our team because, you know, For sure. you know she, she makes these formulas and she makes the pain relief product that works so well for me that first day. And she is incredible. So, she is also one of those people I met along the way. They're like, wow, what if I didn't meet her or that? So like, it's a lot of those what ifs you look back and you're like, wow. And it just goes like it happens, you know? So the chemist that you work with now is the same one that you started out with back yes. when you guys were yeah. playing around with different ingredients? Yeah, I'd say wow. we make most of our products with her. And then we have a few other manufacturers that we work with as well. What's the testing process like for a CBD or a hemp oil? So it's for us, it's we're really transparent with what our ingredients. So for all of our CBD products, they're third party tested. And then what we do is we have a QR code on every CBD product that you scan and it pulls up the C of A, which is the certificate of analysis that basically shows there's zero THC in there from seed to sale from the batch number that hemp and CBD came from because we want to be as transparent as possible. And, you know, there were thousands, there are now thousands of hemp and CBD brands out there. And that's the scary thing is you don't know if that CBD you're buying from a gas station is where it's being made it, how much CBD is in there. And it's really important for every brand to be transparent, but we made sure that was like first and foremost for us. Who would, who would you say your biggest competition is right now? Um, you know, it, it falls in a couple categories. I think hemp's, uh, is one of, they've been around for around 22 years and they're, they've been in made hemp body lotion. I don't know if you know of them, uh, but 
they don't they have a great product but i think where we took advantage was creating a brand and story with our product and then you have big competitors in the cbd space like charlotte's web like that's how i discovered cbd in the first place they're a public company um but a lot of the cbd competitors to us are so different in a sense that they're very expensive they're for the elite i don't know if you've ever walked into a store and seen cbd for 60 or 80 dollars every uncle bud's product falls under 30 dollars, and that's really important to us because we didn't we wanted to democratize this category of cbd and make sure that anyone who wanted it i was a college student when i made this i couldn't afford more than 25 dollars on a pain relief product and that stayed true to this day and we just want to be there to be that affordable brand that really anyone could try. And I think that's why we do so well at stores like Kohl's and Walmart. So I was a marketing major in college. So we learned a lot about, I guess, just different ways of, of testing out your, your product within a market and kind of understanding sensitivities and stuff like that. I guess, are you guys running analytics? Are you guys doing focus groups? I guess, like, how do you keep track of everything and understand where you guys need to go? Yeah, we have a huge database online that we rely on um, between our emails and social media. We have close to a million followers of customers who have tried our products before. Um, and we really rely on our customers buying data, but also feedback on what we want to make next. We'll send out surveys on which products interest you. And we rely on our retailers to also let us know which products they want to make next. We're about to launch a facial collection that comes with an apricot scrub, a facial cleanser, and a daily moisturizer and sell it as a package. So we listen to not just our individual customers online, but also our retailers on how they feel uh, which product will work well in their store and go after it that way. But yeah, I think data being data driven is so key in a in a market like this because it's a it's a big reason on how our hand sanitizer became a thing that was like the craziest thing in the world i call it the sanitizer tsunami because <laughs> everyone was coming to our website they never heard of hemp or cbd or maybe even uncle buds but because we're one of the few hand sanitizers that were not price gouging we saw this whole new customer and we took advantage of that by sending them hemp and cbd samples with their hand sanitizer and we still have those customers today we got like 80 percent of those people that came for hand sanitizer are now uncle bud's customers for other products whether it's skincare bath and body pain relief they they come for one thing and they stay in to try another and that's why we have around 80 different products in hemp and cbd so it sounds like you guys are doing pretty well and i know you talked about charlotte's web which you said is publicly traded would you ever consider down the line and i know it might seem really far-fetched now but like would you ever want to go public if you were in that position to do so and i know that could be something down the road but is it something you've ever thought about who knows you know down the road who knows uh we're open we're we're here to just grow the brand at this point so that's not our main focus and I think, who knows? I think yeah. that's the way I'll answer that. I would buy the stock. I'd yeah, buy, I'd buy, sure. I buy the stock. That'd be cool. No, it would be <laughs> cool. I mean, I personally love the stock market. So like, I would love, it would be a cool thing to have our customers be. You have open. two investors right here who are ready wow. to go right now. Wow. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> I'll sit no, on the board. I, I think it'd be so cool to have customers who are also share owners of uncle buds and i think that'd be a really 
special thing, honestly. But uh, as of now, no, no plans of IPO. But you can start hyping us up like Robinhood and Airbnb. Dude, we got you. <laughs> Thanks. Biggest IPO Jimmy, ever. Call, call up Jimmy Kramer. <laughs> um, so I wouldn't be surprised if I saw you on the show on Mad Money down the line. I really want. Oh, that'd be a dream of mine. Um, so you said you invested at an early age. Um, I guess, do you see products as investments now? Do you ever take losses on products in order to try to maximize others? I guess, like, do you guys have any strategies like that? Um, are you talking about Uncle Buds or stock market? Uh, Uncle Buds. Maybe that's a poorly worded question. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. Can you just re- re-ask that? In- yeah. Let me, let me gather my thoughts. So I guess in retail, there's the term loss leader. Do you guys ever have a product that you kind of like view as an investment where you're going to take a loss on it in order to do better in another spot? So for us, it's really interesting. Different products do well at different retailers. So our sunscreen does really well at Steinmart while our face masks kill it at Walmart. So we're, we create... A, a product based on a need for a customer. So we tend to not have that issue. We clearly have our top performers, which is our uh, antibacterial line, our pain relief and our face masks, which are hero products. But uh, we won't just kind of come out with a product in thin air. There needs to be a need in a market for it. And then we'll, we'll come out with that product. So uh, it happens, but uh, not, not in, that's the way we, kind of have built this business is to do it only make a product if there's a market for it um so i this is another cliche pro, uh, question but i guess what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced as a leader of a business and then i how have you overcome them um i think getting knocked down so many times uh like when i first started the business like when hemp and cbd wasn't a thing it was hard to even process credit cards online because like people didn't know if they could process or uh, marketing mishaps that would happen. Facebook and Instagram still don't let you advertise hemp and CBD on mm-hmm. Facebook. I've, I've probably been shut down 500 times on Facebook over the past five years. No joke. Um, and it doesn't make sense why they don't allow it if you don't stay within guidelines. So that's the there's so many like times you'll get knocked down and just getting back up is the key. And just like, there's so many hurdles surrounding a business and the next day you'll wake up and you're, something happens and it's a lot of putting out fires and the good is really good. And the bad is you just have to be prepared for it and you can't just stop and give up. Basically when the bad comes, you just have to know how to be ready to solve that next problem. And if you're ready to do that, then, you're ready to start a business in my opinion anyone is because like if you're not scared of putting out fires and solving problems then i recommend becoming an entrepreneur i'm shocked that you can create a fake political ad and put it on facebook but you can't yeah that's what i was just thinking you could run fake campaign ads but you can't put up uncle bud's hemp yeah it's pretty crazy but we've gone really that's why we've had to get really creative with the media and that's how we've use so much earned media and press whether it be you're like uh like like just doing forbes is so big for us and espn and stuff like that because those are all earned medias of interviews us telling our story and it's not getting shut down from advertising policies that's on facebook and instagram Mm -hmm. and we really have the freedom to 
you know, connect with the readers in that way. So uh, you talk a lot about using the media. Um, you have, you know, two investors right here and now two members of the media. Will wow. you be a sponsor of the wow. Legends podcast? Sure, we'll sponsor the Legends podcast. Uh, well, the <laughs> so Legends this, podcast this is now brought to you by Uncle Buds. Now brought, uh, just, oh, you took the words out of my mouth. Rock we'll say ball. whatever you want us to say. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Just say it works. And you can find it at www.unclebudshemp.com. <laughs> and your Instagram, which I was at, just looking at here. At Uncle Bud's Hemp. 600,000 followers or something like that. And a big blue check mark. Yeah, so we've got the most followers. I'd say we have twice the amount of the next CBD brand to us, which is CBDMD, who uses a lot of uh, influencers as well. But we we our social media community is real strong and uh that's thanks to jane fonda and magic johnson and tony braxton as well as like you know we use influencers like the housewives and uh other singers and artists and because you you when you have a product in every category you can kind of hit influencers across every category to hit all different types of audiences and that's the fun part about marketing uncle buds is we don't really have a main demographic. You can really hit anyone with uh, with hemp and CBD products. I feel like in the year 2020, I'd rather have the biggest market share on Instagram than, I guess, in, in a retailer, you know, just because I think that's kind of the future of retail. It's going to be people seeing stuff online. Plus, you can gather data so much easier via social media just since it's all documented. Yeah, it's definitely online is very important for any brand whether they're hemp cbd or not i think e-com is definitely going to be super big in the future and uh, retail has just helped us really get our name out there and so because when people are shopping for their toilet paper or their paper towels they see the uncle bud's name and then they'll see it again on instagram and then you're just hitting them at a few different angles yeah and you want you just want as many people to see your product as possible and it, it sounds like you guys are growing. One one thing, though, that I did mention, do you guys sell in the dispensaries at all? No. So that was really important to us. You'll never see us in any even uh, weed publications. No, nothing like that. We treat ourselves as your consumer product, health and beauty brand. We're here to educate and take the, away the stigma of the hemp and CBD dispensary. We're only sold in your big box retailers. Um, and a few vape shops as well. You, you could probably find Uncle Bud's, the mom and pop shops. But uh, that was from the beginning. Our goal is to kind of stay away from that, you know, that traditional hemp, CBD, marijuana type of marketing and create this really friendly, family focused brand that is accessible everywhere. So I got I got one more question. Um, have you felt like you've made it yet? I don't know. That's a good question. Wow. You know, this, everything that's come to Uncle Bud's is literally a dream come true. When me and my dad sat on a couch and started that product, we literally dreamed of being in a big box, one big box retailer, any big box retailers. Would I ever, ever imagine Magic Johnson would end up as my business partner? No, no way. I used to sit in class and design ads on Canva during for fun and like dream of stuff like that happening. So I wake up 
every day really stoked about my job. I feel that I've made it because I love my job and I can wake up and really be passionate about what I do. And um, anyone that has that feeling in my eyes, they've made it. So I think to be able to continue Uncle Bud's after college, that's when I felt like I made it. To be able to continue to grow this business after college, that was the moment I felt like, oh, wow, this is exciting. I've made it. I can actually focus on my business and I don't have to accept your normal nine to five job. I can really do it. Um, and then everything that came along was still blows my mind today. So yeah, every day I'm kind of blown away, show an immense gratitude because it's just a lot of uh, crazy things that have happened along the way. And I'm happy that so many people believe in this product and so many people believe in the brand and it has people like Magic Johnson standing behind the brand. And it's something me and my dad always, always wanted. And I'm happy we got to do it together. Well, you know, you know what they say, if you love what you do, you're not really working. So it sounds exactly. like you're not working and, and you're really just <laughs> killing it. Exactly. If you love what you do, it doesn't really feel like work. It's more of a lifestyle. That's fair. Garrett, thanks for joining the Legends Podcast. We really appreciate it. Our new sponsor, Uncle Bud's. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Catch him in 30 under 30. Oh, one day. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing some insight on the brand and the story of the, the company and uh, giving our listeners something to shoot for. And thank you, guys. I, I'm a big fan of the podcast. Everyone listening better tune in every week because, you know, this is about to be the biggest podcast out there in the next year. So I'm glad I could be one of the first few interviewees to do it. Damn right. In like three years when people are interviewing us about how we made it, we'll be like, oh, we have just phenomenal support from guys like Garrett Greller. So we appreciate <laughs> yeah. it. Ah, of course. Thank you, guys. Thanks All again, right. Garrett. Thank you, Garrett. Take care.